Automakers like Ford need to keep the product pipeline filled with new versions of their best sellers, as well as brand new designs. The man responsible for product planning, as well as purchasing, Hao Tai Tang, is our special guest on AutoLine this week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week, because on today's show, we're going to be talking about all the different kinds of cars and trucks that we're going to be getting in the future and what kind of a role that suppliers may play in building those very vehicles, because our special guest for today's program is Hao Tai Tang. He's the executive vice president at the Ford Motor Company in charge of product development and purchasing, and how it's great to have you on the show here today. Thanks, John. Thanks for the opportunity. Also joining us today are my colleagues Keith Naughton from Bloomberg News and Mike Martinez from Automotive News. And of course, it's great to have the both of you here today, too. Thanks, John. How? let's get right into it. Man, you run product planning. How do you plan for what's going to come in the future? And specifically, let's talk passenger cars. As you know, passenger car sales have been going down in 2017. They fell off by nearly 700,000 units. When you look at that sort of thing going on in the marketplace, do you say, boy, let's design new cars and bring them to the market, knowing sales will go down? Or what do you think? So um, I just want to clarify, as part of our new organization, Jim Farley has all of the global markets, and as well as the marketing uh, skill team. So his role is to really give us the point of view on where he sees the market playing out, especially around segmentations. And we, you mentioned what's happening in the marketplace, certainly in the U.S., we do see this shift out of uh, passenger cars, small cars, sedans, into crossovers and utilities. We believe this is a secular shift, that once people get into these utility products, they see the flexibility, the uh, adaptability, the fact that they have a more uh, higher command riding position, they love it. And as the vehicles get more efficient, uh, because they are getting lighter, better powertrain technology, uh, mild electrification, we don't think that people are going to rush back once the price of oil goes up. So this is something that we factor into how we do our capital allocation. So will you have fewer passenger car models? Yeah, and you're starting to see that. You've seen uh, some of the announcements that have been made um, of late. So, uh, you know, a great example is our focus. We're no longer going to build it in North America. We're going to import it from China. It's a great example of us still having a global product lineup, but uh, rationalizing the manufacturing footprint. That saves us on investment and capital spending. It allows our suppliers to also concentrate their scale so they're not fracturing that global volume across multiple regions. So it's, uh, in the, ter- the term that we're using within Ford, it improves our fitness and also that extends to the supply base. How there's also been a lot of announcements lately about electric vehicles, yeah. including your own with your battery electric you're going to build down in Mexico. Yeah. Um, are we on the cusp of pure battery electrics going mainstream? We believe so. Um, I mean, I I think um, like most disruptive technologies, initially, um, you know, you get very faint signals. There's a lot of noise. But clearly, I think based on what we're seeing in the marketplace, people are demonstrating that there is a business case to be had there. Customers appreciate the advantages. Uh, It's much simpler. It's quieter. The driving performance is fantastic. Clearly, uh, not having to go uh, to the gas station is, is a compelling why buy. Uh, and overall, it gives us a lot of freedom in terms of not only the architecture and the design of the product, but also how we build it. Um, and so we think this is something that 
is starting to hit its stride, and we will reach an inflection point uh, will soon. It, will it be difficult to get people out of their internal combustion engines with a 250 gas? I think um, if you only sell it based on fuel efficiency and total cost of ownership, it may be. Um, but we recognize that that's one element, but there's a lot of other things, that some of which I've cited. And also, we're, we think, um, depending on the market, you'll also have incentives that will, only, will not only target supply, but also drive demand. So in places like Europe, access to city centers, congestion charges. In China, it, it could be you know, more onerous things from uh, license plate restrictions to uh, access to cities, and in some cases, the government may legislate it. So uh, we're looking at both sides, you know, demand dr drivers as well as supply. How we've seen a lot made about EVs, it seems like every automaker is saying they're going to electrify most yeah. of their lineup by 2020, whatever date yeah. it is. But besides Tesla, it seems like everybody's relying on their supply community for the battery cells, yeah. for the production yeah. of these cars. Seems like there's a lot of demand and maybe that, not that much capacity. Are you guys concerned at all going forward? Um, we don't see that as an issue. So one of the things we try to look at for all of the, the entire value chain um, that we buy is um, which of that should we do ourselves and which of that should we buy from the supply base. When you look at the cells themselves, um, it's very capital intensive. You know, you, you guys have seen the numbers. It's billions of dollars of investment. It requires significant scale. We think at a minimum 150,000 vehicles at, you know, uh, 300 miles of range or so, so that you know you can work out how many cells that is um, for that manufacturing site to have good utilization. And so, going alone for Ford across every region where we operate, right now we just don't have this enough scale. Uh, so, by targeting and working with a supplier partner, they can aggregate that demand across multiple OEM customers and get the right level of scale and also you know, fund the investment and the capital uh, expenditure. The other thing we're seeing is we know the technology landscape's gonna change. Uh, you've seen predictions around cost per kilowatt hour. Everyone believes that for us to really have a crossover between cost versus an ICE, you have to go post lithium ion. So we don't wanna get into a situation where we invest billions of dollars of capital, have insufficient scale, be overcapacitized, and then have the technology landscape change on us and then you're, you're stuck with that asset. You know, we've seen that play out with hybrids. Some of our competitors invested a lot of money to uh, bring in manufacturing capacity in-house for nickel metal hydride, and then when the landscape shifted to lithium-ion, they were among the last to switch. Uh, so all those things play in as part of how we go through the uh, in-house out, out, outsource decision. So no Ford Gigafactory on the way? Uh, not on the horizon, yeah. Very interesting what you're saying, that it's got to be post-lithium. Do you see the next generation battery out there, and can you predict when it will be production ready? Yeah, so there's a lot of work going on uh, within Ford, um, in the supply base with all of the big suppliers, and then certainly within university and startups. Um, we think there's going to be um, post-lithium ion. Um, there'll be a lot of options. Solid state is an area that you're hearing a lot of activity about, um, a lot of news. Um, it has a lot of potential. Uh, obviously, we want to make sure we can you know, mass produce that at scale and, and do it in a way that's cost efficient. A lot of automakers put EV and AV, autonomous vehicle, as synonymous. Yeah. But Ford takes a different point of view. You want to do it as hybrid, at least initially. Yeah, we, Why we, is that? Yeah, we, we think there are two different things. Um, for us, one of the um, 
opportunities we see with autonomous vehicles is um, initially they're going to be quite expensive because of the upfront investment and the technology that's in each vehicle. So having really high levels of utilization will be really important. Um, and so for us, it wouldn't make sense to and have that uh, very uh, valuable asset being uh, down to be charging. Mm. Um, so uh, that's why we think a hybrid power pack gives us the best of both worlds. It still allows you to have uh, some element of zero emissions driving. Um, you can still be very fuel efficient, but at the same time have very high uptime. Um, so that's, that's the way we're looking at it. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is the processing power, the computing power right now in the sensor suite is very energy um, intensive. Mm -hmm. um, so that will draw away from the driving range of the vehicle. And of course, like anything, we look forward. Uh, Jim Hackett's really good about encouraging us to think about how technology is going to change. But you have to recognize the team that's doing the development right now, the Ford team, the Argo AI team, we have to use the sensor suite that's available mm. uh, in, in the marketplace today. And with that sensor suite, uh, and you look at the power consumption, it's not compatible, in our opinion, with a full battery electric vehicle. Yeah, as you say, these things will probably have to be hybrids. They're going to be shared. They'll probably be run by fleets. Do you see building a purpose-built vehicle just for sharing? Um, we think um, people will do that. Um, you know, ideally, you would have something within your uh, portfolio that can do that job really well. You've heard us talk about really trying to do dual purpose, moving goods as well as moving people. Um, there are some things, that, for example, um, in an automated car, you'd like to be able to open and close the doors, you know, uh, automatically, uh, electronically. A sliding door architecture facilitates that, as an example. So um, probably not a surprise that the Google product is a minivan with, with FCA. So there are those types of things. But then thinking about how you would design and reimagine that vehicle to really make it something that people would say, I want to be in that vehicle. I want to arrive in that vehicle versus a chauffeur-driven um, vehicle in terms of ride-hailing, as an example. Um, you know, those are all the things we're exploring, and we really want to do that, that uh, well because being human-centered in terms of how we think about the design of the product and the services is going to be uh, differentiating in the marketplace. But if these things are going to be shared a lot, high utilization, they're going to rack up miles, they're going to wear out quickly unless... They're built to last a whole lot longer yes. because if fleets are buying these vehicles, they're not going to want one that wears out in a couple of years. Yeah. They're going to want something like million-mile durability. Yeah. Is that what you're looking at? It is. So the great news is we have a long history of um, commercial vehicles, commercial strength. We know how to do this. Um, uh, what I point to with folks is we have a big fleet of hybrid, the first-generation hybrid escape SUVs went into the livery business, the taxi cabs. You've seen them in New York City. They're still on the road. You know, we launched that uh, in 2004 calendar year, 2005 model year. So it's been, you know, more than a dozen years. So we've accumulated a lot of miles. The great news is we've had really good reliability, not only with obviously the vehicle, but also with the battery cell systems, very, very few defective cells. So we're factoring all of those learnings into the right duty cycle for these AV products. You've talked uh, more about delivery than a lot of other yeah. AV um, companies. Uh, what is it you see in delivery that maybe others aren't? And, and what did you learn from your Domino's delivery uh, test? 
Um, so on, on the second part of your question, it's still early days yet, but um, it's been really interesting of just thinking about how the customers interact with that product. Um, the last 50 feet, if you will, challenge. Mm -hmm. um, how do you do payments? Um, all those things are really good learnings for us. Uh, but then how can we take that technology and help the customer, in this case our partner Domino's, really think about um, managing their assets better? Um, so I'll, I'll give you a great example. If, if the Michigan-Ohio State football game is, is on, you know, how do they allocate inventory between stores today? And how could you help them with that if, if you had an AV vehicle, um, as an example? I'll, I'll just leave that question hanging out there. That's, those are the types of things we're looking at. Um, but we also think, again, getting back to utilization, ride hailing um, tends to have peaks mm -hmm. during rush hours and there, there is downtimes. Uh, places like the, the work we're doing in London with Transport for London during the Olympics, um, they did an experiment where they only allowed delivery of goods at night to really fix congestion inside of London. Uh, so we can imagine that would be an ideal scenario for an AV product. This daytime, it could be moving people. At night, it could be delivering goods. Um, so those are all the things we think would make us, um, you know, these very expensive assets have better utilization and create better value for all of our customers. How I, I want to touch on uh, passenger or public use of these AVs because you guys have said in 2021 you'll have it for commercial and then some years later for the public to buy. Yeah. Some of your competitors have first been putting this technology in luxury cars, whether it's yeah. Kalex Super Cruise or Tesla yeah. Autopilot. Do you see when that day comes this first being implemented in Lincoln's, in Ford's luxury products? Yeah, I think Ford has had a long history of democratizing technology. We think the building blocks of autonomy have a lot of uh, benefits to the customers and the society. So whether that's improving safety or uh, you know, getting to zero accidents, zero fatalities, or just getting rid of tedious jobs that I don't want to do. Um, so depending on, um, you know, the, the actual market and the need and where we see the largest opportunity, that's where we'll focus. Um, so certainly we are looking at, uh, you know, level two to all the way up through level four in the passenger vehicle space beyond just Lincoln, but also for Ford but it's gonna be market and segment specific in terms of finding the sweet spot of you know, what the customers will be willing to pay um, and is it you know, a good fit with our mass market brand. How we've been talking a lot about product, and I know we'll get yeah. back to it. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about purchasing. Sure. I'm yeah. fascinated that Ford Motor Company has given you both jobs, yeah. product development and purchasing. I don't know if that's ever been done in the industry before. What are you doing with that combination? And as you look to the supply community, what are the priorities that you're really setting right now? Yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for us, John. Um, as, as you know, we've known each other for a long time, but I, I spent 25 years in product development and then the last four in purchasing, and it's been a great learning experience for me. And I think one of the biggest learning is the great opportunity that we have if we can work together between product development, purchasing, and also with our supplier partners much earlier in the process. If we view our jobs as being very sequential, you know, I'm a buyer, I'll wait for the engineers to get done, they give me a drawing, I'll get a quote, I, you know, source it to, to the lowest bidder, that's a very transactional view of the job. I could do a bad job and pay more than I should, but there's not much I can do to get the cost below what's inherent in that design. 
and I'm certainly not leveraging the expertise of my suppliers to really help me arrive at a more efficient design. So that's really the low-hanging fruit for us is thinking about um, the, all the commodities that we buy, you know, how should we think about it? Is it truly a commodity like a fastener or a plastic trim piece that we should design ourselves and do build to print and have a market test and source it to the lowest cost supplier? Or is it much more um, asset intensive, more capital intensive, more technology intensive, that we should have a strategic partnership with one supplier and then leverage that supplier to help us arrive at the best solution. And then there's everything in between. So that's the way we're, we're thinking about it. Um, how we're trying to communicate with our suppliers is exactly that, that commodity segmentation strategy. So they have an understanding of, um, you know, how's Ford thinking about that product and service that they're buying from us and should we be allocating our own R&D spending from it or should we just wait for Ford to give us the drawing and then we should really focus on being the low-cost producer. Um, and it, it varies. So I just um, sat in with a couple of our key uh, aligned business framework suppliers with their leadership teams and just started to share with them how we're thinking about where Ford wants to play and how we want to win to help them you know, reallocate their capital and R&D spending so that they can do a better job of helping us win in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. seems that Ford's had relatively good supplier relations scores yeah. uh, in recent years. But at the same time, Jim Hackett said a couple months ago, you guys want to save a lot of money. We do. Yeah. $10 billion in material costs, $4 billion in engineering costs. Yeah. And part of that is through supplier efficiency. Yeah. So how do you balance those relationships with making all those yeah. cuts? So, Mike, you've heard, you're quoting uh, what Jim shared at one of our investor meetings where he said he's targeting $14 billion of cost efficiencies over the business plan period. $10 billion is through material costs. Four billion is through engineering. I feel sorry for the guy that's got to deliver both those things. <laughs> I think um, he's with us. Yeah. Um, so on material costs, it really isn't about um, you know beating up our suppliers to get more more cash rebates back. We don't want them to view it as a zero sum game where for Ford to win they have to lose. It's really we're looking at it very holistically. We're asking them to challenge our specifications, look at our, our designs, and tell us where we're over spec. Uh, we're trying to reduce complexity on our, all of our new products. That's a bigger focus. Um, we're looking at differentiating and tailoring by markets. So do we need the same you know, Autobahn performance in India as we do in, in Germany? Um, and if not, then how would we, we design the products differently to get cost out? Um, and then we're trying to do a much better job of uh, looking at what customers value and what they want to pay for. So our definition of product excellence is going to have to evolve in a, in a world that's increasingly more electrified, more connected, more autonomous. Um, you know, and I, you guys, as journalists, you get into a lot of products. When was the last time you got into a, a vehicle where you said, wow, the steering was terrible, I'm never going to buy that product? So th there are those types of things where in the past they may have been differentiators where it's really not a differentiator. Nobody's doing a really p poor job in those areas. Um, so how do we stop spending resources in those areas and start focusing on things that are more important to customers? Um, and that's, that's why it's so exciting to be in the business. Yeah. I wonder, so you pointed out you stepped out of the product development arena for about four years. Yeah. But during that period, it went from this very iterative process, just improving the thing you've been building for 100 years yeah. and trying to make it better, to this now invention yeah. era. Yeah. And I just wonder what that... 
what that challenge is like and, and, and how much different it appeared to you when you stepped back into the product you development know, uh, the, There's a lot of it that's very familiar, but certainly I think my predecessor, Raj Nair, has done a fantastic job of pr preparing us for this future. So whether it's um, connectivity with uh, our, our march towards 100% connectivity, our Sync Gen 4 system, at one time we went from being, you know, worse in the industry than our best in the industry, as measured by JD Power, even though we have the highest level of penetration, really high mix, that's a great proof point. Um, AV, the work that we're doing there, the prepare for that. So I think a lot of that certainly is new. Jim and Raj have been really pushing us around human-centered designs, thinking about user experience, right. uh, so rather than just traditional features and content. So a lot of those things are new, and I just want to build on the great work and foundation that's been put in place. Well, and in that regard, you guys did some fascinating research in Virginia on how human drivers and human pedestrians react to AVs. What, what did you learn from that research? What do we all have to learn on how to coexist with autonomous vehicles? Yeah, so we take for granted um, a lot of the sort of visual cues that happen between drivers in vehicles as well as pedestrians and drivers. And... So one of the things we're trying to understand is how is that going to change in, in an autonomous world? And um, Jim Hackett's challenge, is like, uh, example he uses all the time, is if you hail a cab and they pull up and there's a puddle in the way, you can sort of gesture to them to move forward so you don't have to walk across the puddle to get into the car. How do you do that when it's, it's, it's an autonomous vehicle? Um, so those are all the types of things that we're really trying to learn. And when you hear him say that, uh, you know, we really want to be ahead in terms of the, this human-centered design. It's really all about understanding those interactions. Yeah. When it comes to autonomous vehicles, there's different strategies that are out there. Uh, FCA is partnering with Waymo. Waymo seems to want to sell turnkey systems. BMW is putting together a very interesting consortium of different suppliers. Yeah. You guys seem to be doing it in-house. Is, is that right? And yeah. uh, what do you think of the different strategies? Um, so we break it down into sort of three key functions, right? You sort of have sensing, you know, thinking, and then acting, if you will. And we think the part that's going to be the most brand differentiating, that's going to differentiate Ford and Lincoln from everybody else, will be the, the thinking portion of it. The sensing is, you know, we, we partner with, you know, a lot of the suppliers. In some cases, like LiDAR, we may take an equity stake like we have in Velodyne, and, and uh, you've heard us buy Princeton Lightwave through our Argo AI LLC. Um, the actuation is something we do today, you know, whether it's uh, drive uh, electronic throttle or e electronic steering, uh, electronic braking will be the next thing. So that's also done in conjunction with the supply base. So we're not trying to do everything on our own. I think the Argo AI um, deal is also a great example of where we recognize that a lot of the expertise in robotics and artificial intelligence and machine learning is not something that we're going to be able to grow fast enough organically in-house. So by doing that, we were able to get uh, some really top-level talent, and we were able to structure the company in a way that can provide the equity uh, rewards for those employees because that's an area that's in high demand and we can have them all within Ford and pay them more than everybody else but then they don't get the same equity upside when it's you know part of Ford Motor Company um, and it also creates problems for the other folks within Ford who are not working on all the new stuff so um, I think those are examples of how we're really trying to think about the problem differently 
Um, Team Edison around electrification is another great example of how we're trying to create, strike the balance of leveraging the expertise and the scale and the might of a Ford Motor Company in our 114-year history, but at the same time, go fast, be agile, and nimble and, and, and entrepreneurial within Ford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One question about the here and now. So General Motors and, and uh, Fiat Chrysler will introduce new full-size pickup trucks uh, in 2018. Um, what are you doing to protect the franchise player, the F-Series? Well, we uh, did a really dramatic freshening, uh, as you guys have seen, you know, literally three years after we, we introduced the all-new one in 2015. Vehicle's been really well-received. It was just named Car of the Year by one of the uh, automotive uh, you know, monthly mag- magazines. Uh, second year in a row that Ford trucks won. Super Duty won last year, uh, F-150 won this year. So that's a really great proof point is even though we dominate the marketplace in terms of market share, uh, we also dominate in terms of pricing power. We have a price premium over the second place player. Um, we've sold 800,000 F-Series already through uh, November. It's on track to be the best-selling vehicle once again in the U.S. So we're not going to sit back and, and uh, rest on our laurels. And I think that's been the success of uh, Ford in, in the truck business is something we keep constantly striving and investing without being prompted to do so by our competitors. Yeah. Oh, it seems like there's been a bit of a product lull compared to the previous few years uh, for Ford. Looking ahead at 2018, what can we expect without giving away too many secrets? Unless you want to. (laughs) We need about a one-minute answer. Yeah, well, we've got a lot of exciting products coming online, starting with, you know, uh, what's hitting the marketplace now with Navigator and Expedition. Um, And so you'll see more um, Edge uh, is going to get a freshening. We were introducing the ST uh, series for the Edge as well. And then, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, Ranger that's coming online, and then we've got the iconic Bronco that's going to follow up on that. So, And then our, uh, certainly our all-new battery electric vehicle. This is really from the ground up designing it for a battery electric uh, propulsion system and architecture. So some really exciting products um, that uh, I think will really resonate with consumers in the marketplace. And that's only in the next two years all that's yeah, coming, yeah, right? Yeah. Very interesting. How Titang, thanks so much for coming here. I know how busy you are doing the two different jobs that you're doing. We really appreciate having you on the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for allowing me to tell a Ford story. Keith Naughton, Mike Martinez, always great to have you guys. Thanks, John. And as I always say, it's always great to have, have all of you tuning in. <laughs>